We're going to turn again to 1 Samuel chapter 9. And we're going to read just a few verses from 1 Samuel 9. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Begarath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to Saul, his son, Take now one of the servants and, uh, with thee, and arise, go seek the asses. And he passed through Mount Ephraim, and passed through the land of Shalisha. But they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, and there they were not. And he passed through the land <coughs> of the Benjamites, but they found them not. And when they were come to the land of Zoph, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come and let us return, lest my father leave caring for the asses, and take thought for us. And he said unto him, the servant said unto him, Behold now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honourable man, all that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither. Peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. Then said Saul to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there is not a present to bring the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul, again and said behold I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver that will I give to the man of God to tell us our way before time in Israel when a man went to inquire of God thus he spake come and let us go to the seer for he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer then said Saul to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went into the city where the man of God was. It's an interesting story, this story of the lost asses. Last week we saw the elders wanted a king. They, they desired a king. They wished to be like the nations round about them. We saw that God did foresee that this situation would arise. We look back in Deuteronomy uh, that God realized that at some stage they would be a king over Israel. But it was the attitude of the elders. They rejected God. They were, were blaming God for their problems. And we saw that most people do that in this world. They blame God for things when they should be blaming themselves or certainly blaming the prince of the power of the air, Satan. And you know what I was thinking? I wonder why they thought it would be any better under a king than it had been under Samuel and his two sons. People are always hopeful that things are going to be better. You get people who marry for the second, third and fourth times and they always think it's going to be better. And why they should think that? The law of averages should make them realize that it doesn't work out like that but there we are 
So they had asked for a king to judge us like all the nations. They wanted to be like all the nations round about them. And that was sad, really. They wished to be like the people. And God had set out at the very start that the distinguishing point of Israel was that they would not be like all the nations round about. And that must have grieved God when he saw that his people, who should have been different from everybody else, they now wanted to be like everybody else. Balaam, in a, in a prophecy way back in, in, in Numbers 23, 19, when he gave a prophecy concerning Israel, he said, Numbers 23, verse 9, a people dwelling alone and not reckoning itself among the nations. That's what they were. They were not reckoning themselves to be like everybody else. They shouldn't have been. That was the position God had required of Israel at the very start. And it is what they agreed to. If you go back to Exodus 19, you'll see in verse 6 it says, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Exodus 19, verse 6. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people to the Lord. God had said he wanted them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, different from all the other nations round about them. And now, how they had failed miserably. Now they wanted to be like all the nations round about them. Have we failed as miserably as Israel? There is a terrible desire for us to be like the people round about us. Look at all the churches in the lands. They're a mixture of, we are just talking about this, Chris, uh, Chris and I before, they're a mixture of paganism, Christianity and Judaism. They're just such a mixture. They want to be like the rest of the churches all around them. Churches are modelled after the pattern of the world. And the way man wants to run the church. The simplicity of the early church in, in the apostles' time was simple. Where is it gone? It's gone because we have organized churches to be like the ones around us. The church wishes to be like all the nations. You know, Israel had been led by God, I think we saw last week, had been led for something like 1,400 years up to this time, had been led by God. It was a theocracy. God was ruling. They had the wonderful privilege of being led by God. Above all the other nations in the, in the world. You know, the church, unfortunately, has lost sight of being led by an invisible head in heaven and by the Spirit of God on earth. It's lost sight of that. We claim to walk by faith and not by sight. But mankind needs to have, see somebody at the head. To see these visibly in control of the work of God. Man wants that. Whereas 
The apostles didn't have that. They were led by God from heaven and by the Holy Spirit in their lives. Man wants to have a ruling class as distinct from the ruling and controlling of the church by the Holy Spirit. Sad. Galatians 5.25 If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.7 We walk by faith and not by sight. Romans 8.14 For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's the leading we have. Not from a head, not from a group of people, not from a committee. We are led by the Spirit of God. And God had desired, and just as God had desired that Israel would be a holy nation, so he desires that we should be. If you look at 1 Peter 2 verse 9, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a special people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We must be a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him that called us into his marvelous light. We're a holy nation. Are we a particular people? Are we a special people? We saw that this king, that they would choose, he would be a taker. Six times, I think, in, in chapter 8, it says, He will take, he will take, he will take. And he was going to take their children, he was going to take their, their, their crops, he was, going, he was going to take. He was a taker. And if we are under the control of Satan, he will take, he'll take and take. And he'll take our lives eventually. Whereas, our God is a God who gives. We saw that last week. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 8.23 He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God is a God who gives. If we have the king of kings as our king. We will receive from him. If we do not. We are going to have somebody in control of our lives who is going to take and take and take. And yet we want to follow man-made rules and liturgies rather than the word of God. And so we come to this man who was going to be chosen as king, Saul. And this strange story of the lost asses. Now I'm not going to go through the story, we read it. And we'll just pick out a few points about uh, Saul and about the asses as we go through. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish and he had a son whose name was Saul. Now Saul was obviously a man of great character. It says he, this was the choice of the man, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Now the interesting thing was, this was the man who was going to be chosen by the people to be their king. They wanted a king. But he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Now the tribe of Benjamin was not the tribe which was uh, in God's plan through whom the Messiah would come. 
That was the tribe of Judah. So to start with, it was a bad choice. A man from the tribe of Benjamin. Kish, it says, was a mighty man of power, and that means he was he was strong, he was he had great ability, and this may account for the extraordinary size of Saul. He was head and shoulders. And I'm sure that's how the expression comes in. He was head and shoulders above everybody else in the whole of Israel. He was a big, big man. And he was an attractive man. It says he was goodly, pleasant, agreeable, had lots of many good characteristics. We know later on that he was a modest man. When they went to crown, find him when they had the coronation, he was hiding amongst all the baggage. It, re it says a couple of times he was goodly. There wasn't anybody who was better in that respect in the whole of Israel, it says. He was a choice young man and a goodly. There was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he was. A lot of good attributes. But you know, we never read that he was godly. Sadly, he was goodly, but we never read that Saul was godly. And to lead the people of God, he needed to be godly. It wasn't enough for him to have a nice personality. Today we have in many of our churches, there are many goodly people. We were just talking about that earlier on. Many goodly people with the right attitudes, but sadly not godly. How different his reign would have been if he had as well as been goodly, if he had been godly along with his many other attributes. The choice of God was, of course, David. David. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, it says, But now thy kingdom shall not continue, Samuel speaking to, to Saul. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. Oh, David was a man after God's own heart. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to have said about us that there was a man after God's own heart we're first introduced to Saul looking after asses unclean animals in contrast we come across David and he was looking after sheep Psalm 78 and verse 70 it says he chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes great with young he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. What a difference. He took Jake, uh, David from following the, 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 the fat ewes ready to drop their, cow, their lambs and, he, and, and how he, he, he risked his life looking after those sheep he took, he, he, from a, a lion and other animals. And he brought him to feed his flock, Israel, his inheritance. You know, the ass is a symbol of sinful man. Job eleven twelve it says, For vain man would be wise, though... Man be born like a wild ass's colt. 
you know, we, we, we saw looking back uh, when we were doing the book of Numbers, I think it was the colt of an ass had to be redeemed with a lamb. Do you remember that? Or else the, 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 the colt's neck was broken. As also the offspring of man in Israel had also to be redeemed by a lamb. The, the ass speaks of sinful man. Whereas David looked after his father's sheep. And the sheep was a symbol throughout the Bible of God's people being led as lambs and sheep. And then we have the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who gave his life for his sheep. The difference between Saul's asses and David's sheep are very remarkable. The asses were lost. And he never found them, you know. He never found them. They, they must have found their own way home, I don't know, but he never found them. They got word eventually to say that the asses had been found, but he never did it. Saul represents the choice of man, the choice of the flesh, to lead the flesh. And that never works. It's always doomed to failure. If man chooses what man wants, it'll be failure. But if man chooses what God wants, then there will be success. Fleshly man can never lead the people of God. And this is a lesson we should all learn in our little fellowships and in our churches. Men have tried and we see the result in churches today. When, when man is appointed by fleshly man into positions within the church, then we have disaster. It's only when godly men are in control that we see the results. We were talking about that just before we started. The, the Dalai Lama was preaching in Liverpool Cathedral, where the bishop is supposed to be, uh, is he an archbishop or bishop of Liverpool? He's supposed to be an evangelical. And yet he had the Dalai Lama, who is regarded by people as a god, preaching in the cathedral which is supposed to be dedicated to the God the true God it, it, it just baffles the mind it's no wonder there is trouble in churches when things like that happen fleshly man can never lead the people of God it is only when man acknowledges the power and spirit of God can we see those who are lost being found How aimless the wanderings of Saul seemed to be. He seemed to stroll around the countryside looking for these asses. He didn't seem to have any object, any plan worked out. He just went from one place to the next looking to see if he could uh, find those that were lost. And that's the problem in churches. Fleshly man will never lead sinful man to find God doesn't work we have to be led by the spirit of God and it's only then will we be able to lead the world to Christ and point the world to Christ you see Saul didn't seem to have any knowledge of Samuel he didn't seem to know anything about him he didn't know where he lived he didn't know that there were nearby a town where God's prophet was 
And it was only by the servant happening to say, well, you know, there's a man of God here. Who is there? Yeah, well, we should go and ask him. He, if he did any sense, he'd gone to the man of God first and would have saved him wandering all over half the countryside. Worldly man is not aware of the workings and actions of God. That's what it boils down to. They will have great schemes, they will have great plans, but they, are, they do not know of the workings of God. Of the love and salvation we have in our Lord and Saviour and the comfort and guidance of the Holy Spirit. They don't know anything about that. If Saul had had some knowledge of Samuel and the workings of God, he would have gone to Samuel at the very start. Are we like Saul? Perhaps we approach God with our problems only after we have sought to try and work them out for ourselves. And when we get desperate, then we decide, well, we better go and ask God to untangle the problem. Nothing's too small. You know, in the Philippians 4, verse 6, be careful for nothing but in everything, in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In everything. Not just the difficult things, not the big things. Be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious about things, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. But thankfully his servant had some knowledge, but there was a problem. Would Samuel require a fee? What are we going to give this man for helping us get in touch with God? What little knowledge they had of the God of Israel. This gracious God in Exodus 15 verse 13 it says, Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed, thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. He had redeemed them. They were a redeemed people out of, out of Egypt. And God had shown them mercy. This God, this was the choice that they had made years ago to follow the God who wanted them to be a, a nation, a holy nation. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Saul didn't seem to be aware of all that God had done for his people. And he wanted to bring some present to God in order to ingratiate himself with the man of God. And that's the way men still think today. They still think like that. What can I give God? How can I help God with my salvation? We can't. Here was a sinful, wretched man seeking to present his sinful filthiness to a righteous, holy God in order to gain uh, something from God. We can't. The teaching of so many churches follows that on, unfortunately, and keeps on that. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. 
when Peter was speaking in Acts and this man Simon saw the miracles and the things that he did he said I, I want some of that and he tried to buy it and he said thy money perish with thee nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. So they went to Samuel. And just a few points on verse 9. Verse 9. Before times in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come, let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before times called a seer. A seer and a prophet. A seer saw something. And a prophet foretells something he has seen. It's very easy when you think of it like that. If I have not seen something, then I can't tell it. We must have seen something or we may end up like the fools in Ezekiel 13. There's an interesting verse in Ezekiel 13 verse 3. Ezekiel 13 verse 3. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Isn't that an interesting verse? These prophets were speaking off their own bat. And they were foolish prophets. Because they didn't have anything. They weren't seers. They hadn't seen, so they couldn't forth tell. We must never follow our own foolish spirit. We must be led by the Spirit of God. Unless we have seen Jesus, we cannot tell forth his message. It's as simple as that. John 16 and verse 13 is, is, is a good example of this. Jesus speaking, he says, Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth is come to dwell with us, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The Holy Spirit will show us things. We'll see them. And then because he has shown them to us, then we can forth tell. A prophet in scripture was not so, one, so much one who foretold things, but he told things forth. And he saw things that God had indicated to him. And then he showed those things to the people. What the world needs is Jesus. Just a glimpse of him. And if we have been with Jesus and seen Jesus. Then we can give that glimpse of Jesus to the world. In Hebrews 2 verse 9 it says. But we see Jesus. And that's what we want to have. A glimpse of Jesus so that we can tell then his message to the world.
In Acts 4.13, when they were brought up before the, the magistrates, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. It is only when the risen Lord fills my vision that I may ever hope to speak the message of hope and salvation to a dying world. <clears throat> John 3.11 Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen. God desires not lecturers, not preachers or special conference speakers. He desires people who are seers and prophets. People who have seen Jesus and who are prepared to tell forth the message of the gospel. And that was the man who was going to be king of Israel. Saul. And his reign was going to be a disaster. You know, we have a king. We've been singing about him. One day he's coming, O glorious day. Psalm 132 and verse 15. What does it say? I will abundantly bless her. The Lord, going back to 13, for the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever, here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her purr with bread. Prophecy about the, the Messiah during the millennium reign. In John 6, we have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And he feeds them, 5,000 men plus women and children, with five barley loaves and two small fishes. And at the end, if you look at that uh, verse, uh, passage in John chapter 6, after it was over, they gathered up the basketfuls. Then those men, when they had seen the miracles that Jesus did, said this is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king they knew their bible they knew that the king who was going to come was going to feed them he was going to bring hope I will abundantly bless her provision I will satisfy her purr with bread he had done this. He had shown by this wonderful miracle that he was the one who could do this. And they came to take Jesus by force to make him a king. But you know, Jesus is not going to be made king in that way. No, if you go to Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, it says, and I saw in verse 13, and I saw in the night visions... And behold, one like the Son of Man came with clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom 
that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. He will not receive his kingdom from men. His kingdom will be given to him by his Father. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. And that kingdom shall never end. It shall be a kingdom, it shall commence with a reign of peace and prosperity. Then, and then only, will the earth be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That is the king that we're looking forward to. Not one where there will be failure, but one where there will be peace because it will be reigned over by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we're looking forward to that kingdom. Amen.